welcome to JTOX Comics. This is the podcast where I talk with friends about the comics we've been reading and enjoying lately, plus occasional sub episodes and creator interviews. This week we've got another really fun Kickstarter conversation for you here, where I talked with Caleb Palmquist of Unicorn Vampire Hunters, and if you were intrigued and thrilled and excited by that name, as I was when I first heard it and got the email, then you need to check this out. You can check out the Kickstarter, Caleb's currently kickstarting Volume 1, at the moment, he is the writer on the book with great artwork by D- Daryl Toe and lettering and design editing by David Lentz. Got to read all five issues of this so far, the first arc. Really enjoyed it. I would recommend it. If you like wild ideas but emotional storytelling, like I always, always mention, it was a lot of fun and great characters, great story. I hope you go check it out. It should be live until it mid-July, can't remember an exact date, sorry, it might be July 13th, but I could be wrong, check the show notes, they'll be there for sure, and yeah, apart from that, I hope you enjoy this conversation, and I'll see you on the other side, as always. So, Caleb Palmquist, welcome to the podcast, it's good to have you here. Thank you, thank you for having me. Yeah, and I know I said this before we recorded, but I, I do appreciate you because I know it's very early for you, it's sort of mid-afternoon, so <laughs> it's a different recording time to usual, but I'm glad we could work it out. Yeah, thank you so much. I uh, I got myself up out of bed. I'm happy to be talking to you. Yeah. So to get right into it, do you want to introduce yourself a bit and introduce the, the idea of uh, Unicorn Vampire Hunter? Yeah, of course. Uh, my name is Caleb Palmquist. I've been writing comics for the last um, seven or eight years, and um, I write a comic called Unicorn Vampire Hunter, which is exactly what it says on the tin. Um, it's about a unicorn who hunts vampires with his horn, um, and uh, it's a fantasy adventure story. Uh, we've been on Kickstarter with this series since 2020, and um, this right now, um, I was going to say this summer, but it is this summer, um, we are coming back to Kickstarter with a collected uh, edition of the comic book. Nice. And uh, I remember, first of all, when Jeff, the agent, organizing some of these interviews being, and connecting with, with like awesome creators like yourself, I I, I will... I thought through a moment whether I could like fit it on the, the schedule if I had room for it when I sort of see emails like that come in. But then I immediately saw the name was Unicorn Vampire Hunter, and I was like, "Yes, I I have to, I have to get to read this. I have to talk to Caleb about this because I'm just instantly it. That's the sort of thing with these sorts of names is that I I am just like instantly like intrigued." Well, thank you. I uh, that was my goal in calling it that. Originally, there was a different name for the comic. Um, it was called Jezebel and the Unicorn for a long time in my working scripts, um, and I decided at some point that I wanted to try calling it, you know, exactly what it was about, and see if that would get people interested. And it totally worked. <laughs> so. Yeah. So it says in one of the past Kickstarters for the comic that it was the first graphic novel script you ever wrote back in 2011 where did the if you can sort of remember where did the idea originally come from for the book oh sure yeah um it's funny i mean ideas come from funny places uh back in 2011 um i was going to college um and i was dating a girl and uh i said this funny thing to her i said that your your, she had green eyes, and I said, your eyes are, are, are beautiful green like a marsh. And she said, marshes are not beautiful. That's an insult. Um, and so I said, uh, I think marshes can be beautiful. And so I wrote a story about a beautiful marsh and where a wizard lives um, with puppies that never grow old. And it all mm-hmm. kind of spun out of that. So um, the unicorn came in later because I was like, I, I wrote this this little scene about a about a beautiful marsh with a with a uh, a wizard and puppies, and then I was like, well, something needs to happen, and so so then I had his niece come visit him, and then he goes out in the 
she goes out in the forest and gets attacked by a vampire and then there's a unicorn and of course there was a unicorn because um i've always really liked unicorns and um, been into unicorns i have a poster of a painting of a unicorn that's I got when I was six years old, and I've taken it with me everywhere I've ever lived, and it's hanging up in my office right now. Um, if anyone ever has any doubt as to uh, as to how much I'm really actually into um, unicorns, <laughs> yeah, that that's cool because, and also something to mention is that when Jeff originally emailed about the comic, he he sent me issue four first of all, um, for some reason, so. Uh, Huh. But but I I was like I was just sort of like politely saying like oh that's issue four and it was like though I I read it anyway and I I'm definitely into it so it was quite funny and but like in in the best way like going into issue four which is quite an emotional issue and being like I'm I'm clearly missing something here but I'm definitely want to go back and find out what, what I'm missing. That's so funny that you read issue four first. Um, issue four is actually uh, my favorite issue um, that I wrote for the series so far um, because it is, I think, the most emotional kind of gut punch uh, issue in the series. And um, but yeah, it's definitely different than the other than the other issues in the series. Issue four really is very focused on the unicorn character Edward and um, his backstory and and kind of some um, frankly kind of emotional trauma that he went through and um, really doesn't feature the other characters like Jezebel or Seamus the Wizard or anyone else um, and so that that's very interesting. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, because it is just the like one scene throughout the whole issue with. Mm-hmm. No, no, as you say, like no, no other characters. So I think it does give it the chance to carry that emotional weight that's sort of set up and teased and established in the the first few issues. So you have that like payoff in, in the fourth issue before the, the final one ending out the first arc, the first volume. Did you end up going back and reading the other issues? Oh yeah, absolutely. This was I think first thing was about it like, maybe a few weeks ago. So uh, this this morning, I just sort of read through all five issues, including issue four again. So oh, it was fun too. <laughs> and uh, I keep remembering new details about this. But also, when I, I first saw the email from Jeff, to get back to that one final time, I like just woken up and was like checking my phone. And so it's like one of the first things I did when I woke up like early in the morning, I'm just like reading like issue four of this comic called <laughs> Unicorn Vampire Hunter, and I'm like. This this is this is something really interesting. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Thank you. Uh, so, one thing that I really enjoyed about the series, on that note, is that it's like very like fantasy based. It's got those like fantasy elements, and but at, at the end of the day, you still make a point to include those emotional moments mm-hmm. where. I think it was at the end of the first issue, I, I wrote down the, the note where it says, well, Unicorn Vampire Hunter is a fantasy story of magic, curses, and fantastic creatures. It is, at its core, a story about characters and their relationships to each other, and it needs to how that really comes through in artist Daryl's work. So I thought that was always really important. When you, when you have these like wild ideas called Unicorn Vampire Hunter, but it's not just... like. Cheap gives it like the wrong kind of slightly bad connotation, but sometimes you do just want like popcorn entertainment, but and then equally you can have things which do have that like heart and that's again that, that sort of emotional attachment with, with the characters. Well, thank you. I mean, I really appreciate that. I think that um, sometimes when people hear the title, uh, it can be a little bit of a double-edged sword because I think people get excited about the title Unicorn Vampire Hunter, but sometimes I think what they're expecting is sort of a popcorn thing of just, you know, 30 Mm. pages of a unicorn brutally slaying vampires. And um, there's a little bit of that in the comic, but yeah, you're totally right. It's about the characters. And to me, um, that is always what I'm trying to do. So I'm, I'm very glad to hear you say that that's what you got out of it, because that's always my goal when I'm writing a story is I'm writing about these characters and whatever kind of um, uh, thing that the story is ostensibly about, like vampires and unicorns and, 
and fantasy and all this stuff it, to me is in the end ultimately window dressing oh i think i disconnected for a second um well the yeah the things all the fantasy trappings and everything are ultimately window dressing to to the characters who are you know i mean when i write a comic book i spend a lot of time like really sitting with these characters so they're very alive to me and to hear that they feel alive to other people is incredibly gratifying yeah because I think at the end of the day that's what will most of the time that's what will stick in people's minds when you have the the heart of it and it's not just something that they can enjoy for however long and then sort of bounce off it again I mean like there, there was a movie out this year a few months ago called Cocaine Bear which uh-huh. was maybe definitely sort of a popcorn like in the sort of wild um action that you would expect when you hear that title but even then i found myself and i, I know sometimes i feel like i maybe connect to characters easier than easier than some people but even then i i thought it was still like it wasn't even a it's like so bad it's good film it was like actually decent i was like actually enjoyed it so it was oh, a awesome. weird tangent but an interesting thing that was somewhat relevant okay yeah i haven't seen it i should check it out so when it came to approaching, like, putting the world together and bringing it to the page, how much direction did you give uh, artist Daryl and even, I suppose, with the like, the lettering and the design work by Dave, then how much did you sort of say specifically what you wanted or did you just give a general um, vibe and let them go crazy or what was the sort of balance there? Well... At this point, I've been working with um, both Dave and Daryl for a long time. Um, I had done some work with Daryl even before we did Unicorn Vampire Hunter on a few little things. And um, my script writing style in general is uh, a lot looser, I think, than a lot of other comic book writers. I really don't even do panel breakdowns. And it's interesting because... I always have a conversation with every artist that I work with. And I say, I normally don't do panel breakdowns. I normally just give instructions about what happens on this page and what the people are going to say and any specific details that I think are important. And then I and then I let you work with it. And I always say to the artist, you know, if you'd like more specific instructions, if you want me to give you panel breakdowns, um, then I totally will. Uh, and I have never once had an artist say, yeah, that's what I want. Um, and I've always thought that there might be an artist out there who's like, oh, you're asking me to do the work for you if, if you're not giving me panel breakdowns. Um, but I've never had an artist say that they wanted me to do that because, uh, you know, I think a lot of times artists have a clear idea. Like if they're talented comic book artists, they have a clear idea of how to tell a story. And over the years, I think I've gotten pretty good at understanding how much can actually fit on a page in a meaningful way. Um, I think that you probably notice that my comics um, tend to have less text and less action per page than um, a lot of other indie comics or even mainstream comics tend to have. Um, I take the concept of like decompressed storytelling pretty seriously. And I know people have mixed opinions about decompressed storytelling, um, but I think it's a visual medium and I think you got to allow that to shine. And so my scripts... Uh, really just describe what's happening on the page they describe the emotions that the characters are feeling uh they and they describe what the characters are saying um and occasionally i'll point out something some little detail that's very important that needs to be there uh and then i kind of let the artist go with it and sometimes um you know i get questions back like how should this look or or whatever but but a lot of times daryl and i have have such a shared language at this point i mean we've been working together uh three four years and uh and he tends to get what i'm going for um and then when it comes to dave lentz the letterer i mean um you know he he takes what i've written um for the dialogue and and puts it on the page and he often what's funny is um he will do little edits on the fly that he thinks will like improve the dialogue and he's usually right and then he'll also like add little funny stuff in little sound effects and whatever and i just really trust him and every once in a while he'll put some in there i don't like and i'll say uh you done screwed up dave um and send him a screenshot 
and uh and then he'll you know he'll fix it and we make a joke about it that i'm so mean to him but 90 percent of the time not even 90 percent 99 percent of the time he does such a great job right out the gate um and so i like to make fun of him and tell him that his job is just paint by numbers he's just copying pasting the stuff from my script and that he barely does anything which is not true at all he uh he does a lot lettering is so important and he does an excellent job so yep that's that's kind of how it goes yeah yeah i mean just yesterday i was recording an episode which probably be out before this where david m Brewer, the, the writer of specs is what they were talking about and he, he was saying that his artist chris sheehan was there, there was like one particular thing that they wanted to draw so they like added just like a, a bunch of those in and it wasn't necessarily something that david have, would have thought of like on his own and he like he specifically highlighted it as something that like enhanced his ideas and just sort of spoke to the strength of the collaboration between the, the the writer and the artist so it is always cool when artists can there was one more too many artists can bring something new to the table and yeah i, I think it's it's got to be a bit of a balance where i think it's something special when you can sort of nail that collaboration where you're not just like leaving the artist to do everything but also you're, you're giving them enough freedom to like chip in and add in their own ideas because it is like their comic too and then especially also with like lettering which i know gets overlooked way too much by lots of people even like unintentionally but it's something that i've tried to become more aware of over the past couple of years and uh, yeah especially because you don't always think about lettering because it is not just like literally like the lettering they do all that speech bubbles and everything which might sound obvious to some but like to many people we just don't sort of think about that sort of thing it's like they obviously do type out the text but then the the artist doesn't put the the speech bubbles in i mean and they might they're also lettering it but they've like got to just do all of that and especially if they're like doing the like design work and I mean, the logo is great, uh, yeah. by the way. So that, that's fun. another Dave. So. Uh, Dave Lentz design is the unicorn, uh, the unicorn vampire hunter logo. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, he does a great job. And um, it, I mean, going back to to Daryl, I will say that um, I mean, it is really so collaborative. Um, if anything, you know, I just have to give more and more credit to to Daryl. You read issue four of the series first, which actually spun out of an idea that Daryl had. Um, I actually, um. years ago, we were talking about it, and Daryl said, well, what if he goes back um, to the kingdom and has a confrontation with the king? Uh, and he and he imagined that the king would be a vampire and um and that I took that idea and ran with it and and now that's my favorite issue of the series and and I think that that's one of the advantages of like really being open and collaborative with an artist when you get when you when you're working with someone who likes your what you're doing and is invested in it then you know I mean every time like right now Daryl and I are working on the next arc of the series which will be the next five or six issues and um we part of that process is just like batting ideas back and forth where you know i'll send him outlines and he'll be like well, what if this happened or what if this happened or he'll be like well i don't know if this character would do this thing and i'll be like you know you're right and um so it's um i mean it's so much more than just like here's a here's a blueprint draw this you know i mean it really is like it is a collaboration and um and i think that that's and I think that that's really important because, I mean, you know, we, we, we talk about things like whether or not AI is going to replace, you know, writers and artists. And, I, and, and, you know, the answer to that is, well, it can once it learns how to put the kind of heart that we put into it, you know, because um, until then, um, you know, you can't replicate these conversations and passion that goes into these things uh, and all these little details. Um, and that's that's I think really the strength of this series. It's a um, and 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 that's the reason that you know I'll keep collaborating with Daryl whether it's on Unicorn Vampire Hunter or something else until the day that he tells me to stop talking to him because um, you know we I think we work really well together 
and uh and it's you know i mean that's that's just one of my favorite things about creativity is the collaboration um i'm always so much happier making things when i'm doing it with other people who care and who are excited about what we're doing yeah absolutely i think that's something that's really cool and it's cool to hear about issue four because i know we've talked about this already but it is basically just standalone it doesn't really affect the like overall plot at all. It obviously affects Edward's sort of character arc a bit and his like emotional mm-hmm. journey and, and payoff as I mentioned throughout the the book. But apart from that, it's just again sort of detour gives like a negative connotation. But I know it, it, it's really For really sure. fun to see. So you mentioned about just hoping to continue collaborating with that one. Do you have any and this probably might not be a specific number, but do you have like a rough idea of how many ideas you might have for the, the series to run oh, for? Or are you just sort of seeing yeah, how it goes? Um, I can tell you that as long as Unicorn Vampire Hunter continues to have the amount of success on Kickstarter that it's had, um, which I don't necessarily know why that would change, but we never know. Um, as long as it's continued to as long as it continues to be successful and people like it um i know there will be at least three volumes um and we have plotted out a a very clear vision for volume two and three um and uh and then i also have um a vision for additional volumes um but volume three will come to a place where i feel like the series could end um but there's definitely ideas for for more and so um that's that's kind of where we're at with it right now i definitely always you know i always have ideas where i could extend things but um but that's uh that's what i've envisioned definitely there's there's a very clear vision and plan for volume two and three which will hopefully bring a lot of the a lot of the character relationships full circle and a lot of the ideas we've put out there in volume one full circle Nice. So, I mean, because you talked about how your writing staff for individual issues is a bit looser, but how do you manage the sort of pacing between the like issues like within the volume and and, and getting that right? You mentioned it was more like decompressed, and uh, are the sort of plans for future volumes a bit more not necessarily nailed down, but sort of like more like tight, tighter and thought out than necessarily that you. I don't know how this compares to how you write. The well, first the the first volume there. was written over the course of like almost ten years, um, and so right. the the ideas in volume one lived in my head for so long. I mean, I uh, I don't yeah. think I've ever planned out a story as thoroughly as I planned out volume one of Unicorn Vampire Hunter. But uh, so so the writing process for the next volumes is like necessarily different because now that I've told the story that was living in my head for 10 years, um, now that it's all out there on paper, uh, you know, it, it, we're kind of in new uncharted territory. Um, but I think part of what works so well about volume one is that I had a clear plan. I knew where it was going. Um, I knew what was going to happen. And so I think that a lot, there is a lot of payoff there. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to replicate that on a larger scale with, um, volume two and three. So instead of for volume one, it was always, you know, when I wrote the idea 10 years ago, I, I had only envisioned it as, you know, a, a sort of one graphic novel. And so um, I wrote the wrote the whole story. And originally the ending was different too, because the ending of volume one ends up having, mm. as you know, a bit of a cliffhanger, uh, it, literally. And, um, um, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so originally when I wrote the story, there was like a much sadder ending that basically... Um, Jezebel um the young girl in the story dies and then um and then because everyone is so sad and like hope has gone out of the world the magical puppies that never grow old grow old and die um and then like the yeah and it was kind of like a really somber ending where like the unicorn kind of like wanders off into the sunset like sad and melancholy and like um and that's not the ending that we ended up going with 
um, for like a lot of reasons. I think that's like a, it's like a terribly sad ending. And also uh, there was just more I wanted to tell with the story. So I was like, well, I can't kill Jezebel. Like she's sort of the heart of the story um, in many ways. And, uh, and I saw a lot of potential for her character. And so I wanted to give her more to do and give the other characters more to do. But because I planned out the first volume as one thing and one arc, um, and I thought that that worked well. The this the strategy that I'm applying to the next two volumes is um, kind of planning both of them out at once. So hopefully there's there are some longer plot threads that have the same cohesiveness that the first volume had. Um, the way that I think about it is sort of like a trilogy, like a lot of movie trilogies. The first movie will be kind of a standalone thing, right, and then yeah. the next two are kind of part of a larger narrative. Um, and so that's kind of the way that I'm imagining it. Um, for sure, but it is 100% a different process um, because it's much more intentional this time. The first time uh, when I first wrote the idea, I, I don't think I imagined any of the many difficult parts of creating a comic. I just wrote, I just, you know, was writing this idea down on notebook paper and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and this time I have, I'm writing it and I know what's going to happen. You know, I know how we're going to get it drawn and, and how we're going to bring it to Kickstarter and print it and all that stuff. So, so it's a very different process. Yeah. Is it exciting and or scary at all? Now you're on the other side of, is it, it was in your head that long and you're like finally sort of like past it and you can tell those like more stories and yeah, what, what, uh, what it is. Like? It's exciting. It is scary because I think that I, I think that, um, you know, I don't definitely don't want to toot my own horn, and I, and I tend to downplay my work more than anything. But I think that Unicorn Vampire Hunter Volume One is good. I think that I did. I wrote something good. I'm very proud of what I wrote. And I think people responded to it very well. And to be honest, it is scary because, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, there are a lot of little different cliche things people say about writers or artists. And it's like, um, and, you know, one of them is like, you know, you're only good as good as the last thing you made. Um, and, you know, there's a scary part of like, can I do better? Can I one up myself from this volume? And hopefully the answer is yes. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's hard to know. And so I think I've definitely put a lot of pressure on myself, um, to be like, okay, I don't want to put this out in the world unless it's good, unless it's like a really worthy follow up. And, uh, and you know, a lot, a lot of that comes down to just kind of like allowing myself to, to write the thing that I want to write and, and accept that people will like it or they won't like it and and that'll be okay either way um but uh yeah definitely definitely a little bit of excitement and a little bit of scariness yeah one thing that was cool that i remember still noticing when i was looking at the comic online is that there was a first issue published by scout comics who were also funny enough um published by the horns another great indie unicorn comic or, or those slightly different but um that was that was cool to see how um, that sort of come so about. a couple of years ago after i kickstarted the first issue of unicorn vampire hunter um i sort of got excited about the idea of getting published um by a publishing house that could get me into um, distribution. And um, I had had some friends who had been published by Scout. So I sent in a pitch and uh, they ended up accepting my pitch. At first, they uh, were, I wasn't sure if they would accept it because they already had a couple of other unicorn things and a couple of other vampire things. Um, but they did take it and uh, and the first issue came out um, through Scout uh, in March of this year. Um, maybe it was early April. It was either late March or early April. I can't remember right now, but uh, came out through stores uh, in the US and that was really exciting. Um, and I, you know, got to do a signing at my local comic book shop, um, with a lot of people came to. So, so yeah, that was fun. I mean, it's definitely a, a different experience being published, uh, through more of a traditional publisher than, uh, than being on Kickstarter. So it was, yeah, it was interesting. I'm, I don't know if it's an experience I'll repeat or not. Um, but I think it, I'm glad that I did it. I'm glad that I went through the process of sort of pitching and getting accepted by a traditional publisher. But 
I, I will say the one thing that to, to anyone who's listening who like who might be I, either you're writing comics now or you've already written some comics and you want to be published and you want to get out there. Uh, really, the message that I would give is that creativity is democratized. We live in a world, we live in a time where you can make the thing that you want to make. You can be a filmmaker, you can be a comic book writer, you can be a novelist, and you don't have to wait for anyone's permission. You can just do it. Uh, and um, as exciting as it was to get that publishing deal and do that, I didn't need it. And you don't need it either. Uh, and so if you're not published yet or, or you got rejected by a publisher or, or whatever, don't sweat it. You know, it's like water rolling off your back. Go and put the thing that you want to make into existence because you don't have to ask anyone. You really don't. So, Yeah, I think that's something. Oh, sorry. I, I, yeah? I got on a little bit of a soapbox there. Um, uh, I... No, I, I love it. I, mm, yeah, I think it's something that's really important to make note of that's come up like time and time again in these interviews over the past few months, where especially when new readers are sort of getting into the hobby, see like the, the big superheroes and sort of just like read those. And those can be great. Those can be fun. I know because for one, I enjoy them as well. And for a second point, I didn't sort of discover these until a few years into reading from next week to week. So I sort of gradually sort of discovered the things like indie comics. And I say indie comics because originally it was just like my first indie comic was ah. Spawn. So not exactly the not exactly the most like underground um, small indie comic that you might think of. So it is cool to sort of like discover all these Kickstarters which are sort of like for lack of a better word proper indie comics where you literally have the creators just like putting them together all, all, like all by themselves or at least like within their teams and like no publishers attached or anything as you say where you can literally just if you can get the funding if you can organize it then you can make it and that's that, that's something oh really yeah cool. for sure yeah. and I mean you know that comes with a lot of things I mean I'm a in many ways, on the business side of things, I'm a one-man team. You know, I spend, I probably spend more time packing up orders and shipping them out than I do actually writing. Um, which, mm, yeah, for sure. And but you know, um, I think in in many ways that's gratifying too. And you always hope that at some point you could sort of grow beyond the need for that and sort of hire that out, hire a fulfillment service or whatever. But um, but I mean, you know, it's I think it's worth it. It's worth it to do that stuff. Um, because you know, I mean, I mean, for one thing, when people back a Kickstarter, if it's if you're running a Kickstarter and you care about what you're doing, you're going to put some care into those packages, and and people are getting an experience that they're not going to get from going to the comic book store. They're they're just not. Um, and uh, and so you know, I really I really pride myself on that of providing people an experience that they wouldn't get otherwise. Um, you know, because if you bought my comic in at your local comic book shop with the Scout version, that's great, and I hope you really enjoyed it. Um, it you know it it, it definitely is a different experience, though. I um I think that the things that I put out independently are are high quality, and and I put I put a lot of care and love into not only the books themselves, but also just the way that I package them and send them out. So hopefully that comes through. If you've ever backed one of my Kickstarters and you've gotten a package from me. Yeah, I think that's the other important thing is just sort of establishing that quite personal connection to readers and sort of promising them that they will get something worthwhile that they aren't going to get in, like, uh, as you say, at the comic book store. It's a more almost raw yeah, experience. Yeah. So I think it says, I think this is your latest one from a, a couple of months ago, Night and the Lion, and that said that was your 18th right. Kickstarter is that yeah so which is incredible that that many kickstarters is there anything in particular that you've learned over all of those kickstarters that you're going to bring into the latest one with the unicorn vampire hunter volume one or anything that hasn't worked so well before that you're hoping to sort of adapt and change and yeah i'm always interested to interested to hear how people's creators kickstarters sort of change and adapt especially oh, for sure. so yeah. many. i mean there's always things that i'm learning i mean i think one of the really cool parts about kickstarter is that you always get to be creative you always get to be iterating on the process and so 
there are a lot of things that um, are sort of like second nature to me, like how I build a page on Kickstarter, um, how I do um, like the videos and how uh, and that that kind of thing that that seem relatively ironclad. But then there's other things that I'm always experimenting with, like how am I going to do reward tiers and add ons and what am I going to offer and not offer? One thing that I've been embracing lately is actually offering less um, because I think for a long time, my inclination was, you know, with those add-ons or, or different levels or whatever I needed to offer everything I've ever done. And um, I think that sometimes that can be overwhelming. Um, and, you know, I always have people get people have the option of going like to my website to buy other stuff that I've done. And usually when I have a backer kit survey after the campaign, I'll, I'll offer some more things that like in terms of more um, other books that I've done. But I I've I've been sort of trying to embrace the idea of keeping it simple uh, because I think that I think about my experience when I go to a Kickstarter like that, I'm just going to back. And I want to I want to know as quickly as possible, like what's being offered? What am I going to get? Um, and, you know, what's the level that I'm going to get the parts that I want and not the parts that I don't? And uh, and so if I can offer that experience to people, then then that's what I want to do. And I definitely have learned a lot doing all those Kickstarters. One of those was a failed Kickstarter early on. I think it was my, maybe my fourth or my fifth Kickstarter failed. Um, and uh, that was a real eye-opening learning experience. Um, and I think that uh, it really, it really had me examining like what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. Is this appealing to people? Uh, and so you know, a lot of my process is informed by that. I go back and look at my old Kickstarters and see what worked and what didn't. And I'm also always polling my audience. I have a email newsletter and I and I'm asking my audience all the time, like, do you prefer this option or this option for reward or for a cover or or whatever? And uh, and I found that if I poll people and then I go with the option that the majority of people picked, uh, that thing is going to do well. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't think that's rocket science, um, but certainly, uh, yeah, to answer, it's sort of a long answer to your question, but I have learned a lot from the previous Kickstarter. So the Unicorn Vampire Hunter will be my 19th Kickstarter, the volume one. Um, and a lot, most of those Kickstarters are within the past few years. When I started doing Kickstarter, I was like one a year, or maybe two a year. Um, and I think I even skipped a year, uh, but as I've done it more and more, I'm I'm less afraid to be launching more often. I think that there's a real fear among creators that if they launch too often, that they'll lose their audience. People won't like have a tolerance for it anymore. But I I mean I guess my answer to that would be think about your favorite thing. You know like I don't know maybe Spider Man is your favorite comic book or you know your your favorite TV show or whatever. I mean, it, if there were more issues put out or more episodes put out, would you be mad about it? Uh, you know, if, if like uh, my favorite TV show in the world is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and the new season is coming out in June. And then if they said like in, in you know, July, oh, we have another new season and we're dropping that one too. I wouldn't be like, ah, get out of here. You're overwhelming me. You know, I'd be, I'd be thrilled. Uh, and and yeah. so I think if you are creating something that's really connecting with the people who are reading it, you don't need to worry about launching too often. Um, you just need to worry about continuing to deliver that thing that the people like. Um, and so I, that was a really rambly answer to your question. I don't know if I really answered it, but um, yeah, yeah, I think it sort of goes back to what you were saying earlier. Is as long as people are still like enjoying it and supporting you, then you can continue to. Do it for the, as long as you want. That's the the, yeah. the main thing, I think. It's interesting. Another Kickstart uh, creator said a similar thing recently about just not overwhelming backers with rewards, having like a something like that. The, the new issues, and then the back issues, and then a couple of like extra cool things to some like higher tier rewards, and then but not much. Also, apart from that, because you don't want to, I think sometimes you can maybe give people, you can maybe give people too much choice. So you just have to be aware of like getting that. that oh, balance, for sure. And also, you got to be worried. I mean, from a business perspective, you also have to think about price bloat for yourself. If I'm offering too many different things, yeah. I have to pay for all those things. 
Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's something that is important to think about. And um, so I would definitely say that um, keeping it simple is is a good idea. You know, offering previous stuff that you've done is valuable, too. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it some of this stuff kind of like honestly sometimes makes me feel a little gross because we're talking about things like choice architecture and we're talking about like salesmanship and these are concepts where it's like essentially if you really boil it down we're talking about how can we manipulate people into into buying um and that's like a gross way of saying it uh but I mean, it is, that is kind of what's happening. Um, but you, like, there's no, like, choice architecture is everywhere. You can't, like, no, nobody ever makes any decision in a vacuum. And so it, if someone's interested in the stories that I'm telling, and they've got to make a choice about whether or not to buy it, I want to make that choice easy for them. I want to make, I, I don't want to make it complicated. Um, and if that results in more people buying my thing, then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to cry too much about that. I'm not going to feel too guilty about that because I think that what they're buying is worth it. So, um, you know, I, but I, I think I always have that like inner voice in my head. That's like, you're being a gross salesman and you, you need to not do that. And you should just give everything you make away for free. Um, but, but obviously if I did that, I wouldn't be able to do the things that I do, uh, you know, cause they, they require money. So. Yeah, it's tough because it always, sometimes it comes up with that of gross intersection between just like oh art for art's sake but then also that's not financially possible right. unfortunately because you do have to as as much as you might have like good intentions you, you still have to like pay for it and etc so you do have to worry about that sort of thing even if it feels yeah. a bit icky at times and so on that note you know to talk through some of the rewards that you're going to have available that people will have to go oh sure yeah let me let me pull it up as of um as we are recording we're still a little ways out from the launch but i think that if you're listening to this now Uh, you'll be um it'll either be launched it'll be coming soon and um so we have a lot of cool stuff that's being offered um the 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 main thing that's being offered is volume one of unicorn vampire hunter and there's there are actually four different um editions of the book there's the standard cover uh, which is a soft cover it's got spot gloss on it um daryl the main artist drew the cover and then we also have a variant cover drawn by carl moline who you may know from his work on fray which is a very popular buffy the vampire slayer comic book from a while back um and i thought that it was you know appropriate to have an artist from buffy the vampire slayer draw a cover for this comic book um and so that <laughs> yeah. that was really exciting that he was willing to do that. Uh, and that cover is colored by Kay Woolheiser, who's actually the artist for the, um, the Night and the Lion, which was another recent campaign that I did that we talked about. Um, so those are two softcover editions. And then we have a hardcover edition, which is going to be really fancy and have metallic stamping on the logo um and the spine and it's going to have a ribbon bookmark so that'll be a a very cool looking hardcover edition um and then the thing that we have for for the the people who are really into collector's editions is essentially like a library uh edition which is a cloth bound and silver engraved cover that really looks like one of those like um uh sort of classics editions books that you might see at Barnes and Noble or something. Um, and so it's it's got a really cool silver engraved ornate pattern on the front and it also has silver gilded page edges. Um, and yeah, so that's a pretty premium edition. And, and, and I think that that's, again, one of the cool things about Kickstarter. I think I wouldn't have offered something this fancy um, if it wasn't you know, that Unicorn Vampire Hunter has had the success that it's had. And, you know, I'm able to do things in small batches like that um, on Kickstarter, which you really wouldn't be able to do in, in uh, you know, mass distribution unless, and uh, you know, unless this was like Dune or something. Um, and uh, and so I think it's going to be really fancy. It's got this 
gilded page edges and it's got the ribbon bookmark and um the silver engraving on the cover and the the gilded page edges were something that my letterer dave lentz he's been saying from day one since i've been working with him he's like we got to do a book with gilded page edge we got he's like this is what this is what gets me going and uh, so we're finally doing it and so that um that version of the book is going to be extremely fancy um but we have four four options so hopefully people who are who just want to you know get a more affordable version can pick up that paperback or you know kind of depending on your preference and we also have a digital version available and then we also have um just two little rewards that we're going to have in addition to the books is um a metallic art print by david brame who has done a variant cover for all the individual issues of unicorn vampire hunter and there's a a metallic art um, print that is depicting a scene from issue two of the book in which um, Edward the unicorn fights a vampire that has sort of electric um, uh, gadgets. And uh, I think it's a really cool print. I I told David Brame who drew it, that it's like maybe the most metal thing that he's ever drawn. Um, and so that's available. And then we also have a, a die cut sticker. And one of, I think, something that's sort of become a hallmark of a lot of my campaigns is that I have these three inch vinyl die cut stickers um, that have little funny sayings on them. Like um, the first one we did says, This unicorn kills vampires. Um, and then the one that we did for issue five has got Edward blowing a, a bubble with bubble gum. And it says, I came here to chew bubble gum and kill vampires and I'm all out of bubble gum. Uh, yeah. So, nice. um, the, that one, as we are uh, recording now, that unicorn sticker for this campaign is still in progress. Um, but you can go to the campaign page to check it out and hopefully it's every bit as clever as the previous ones were. Um, so that's kind of it. We've got the four different options for the book and the interiors are all pretty much going to be the same um, for those four options. Um, but then we've got the, a print and a sticker uh, and that's pretty much it. Um, the, uh, you'll be able to, if you, if you're interested in some of my other books, like Vampire Detective in Space or uh, Swords of Arthur um, you'll be able to pick up some of those on the backer kit after the campaign. Um, but then I also wanted to mention that you're doing a cross promotion with another campaign that I'm involved in uh, called Space Monkey Nights Go, uh, which was created um, by myself and Dave Lentz. It was his idea um, originally. Dave Lentz is my letterer for all my projects, and he came up with this idea of a sort of like 80s cartoon-inspired story about four monkeys who go out into space and believe that they are knights of King Arthur's court, um, and they fight aliens. Um, it's a very fun uh, adventure thing. It's an all-ages book, um, which is uh, in, in many ways like a lot of things I've written, but in a, also a lot of ways it's completely different. It's drawn by Nicholas Torres, who's one of my favorite artists working in indie comics today. Um, and um, so we're doing a little cross-promotion with that campaign, and hopefully um, anyone who's interested in my work will be interested in checking that out, because as much as that is like a silly high-concept thing, I believe it still has that same core of those character moments, um, like everything else that I write. And I told, it's actually funny because I told Dave, he wanted me to write this story and like sort of co-create it with him. And he described this, you know, high concept adventure about monkeys fighting alien wasps on alien worlds. And, uh, and I said, okay, I'm going to write it, but I'm going to like put in emotional gut punches and like character moments and make you cry. And he's like, oh gosh, fine. If you have to. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, anyway, uh, that's what we got. That's what we have on offer. Awesome. And when does the campaign so, run until? That is a good question. I think it runs until July 13th. So just about exactly one month. And the good news is that this book is done, right? So uh, we will, like all the, all the content is finished. We'll just have to get it ready for print and send it off to a printer. We are, this one might have a little bit longer of a, of a production time than some of the previous issues because we are, um, printing with a different printer with some of the fancy options that we're doing are not offered by the usual domestic us-based printer that we use, um, for a lot of the single issues. And so we're going overseas 
to print this one. So, you know, it's always a little unpredictable when you're printing, um, having books shipped from overseas. As any backer of mine who has backed from a country other than the U.S. would know, sometimes there are issues shipping packages across country lines. Um, and so we'll see how that goes, but I don't expect any major problems. Nice. Yeah, it can be a bit of a pain sometimes. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, not too bad for you. Uh, apart from that, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to talk. I know you already talked a bit, so you might not have anything else to mention. But I just always like to ask if you have anything left to say, or whether you want to just maybe go to where people can find you online if. Yeah, uh, you so. can find me at, on my website at calebpalmquist.com. Um, if that's difficult to remember, you can also go to unicornvampirehunter.com, which goes to the same place. Um, and you'll find more information about all my books there and how you can buy books and sort of how you can sign up for my newsletter uh, and, you know, all the different things I have going. Honestly, the website and by extension, the newsletter are the best places to find information about me. Uh, you can also find me at Caleb Palmquist on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, but I have make no guarantees about how often I'll actually post on those places. Fair enough. Yeah, thank you again for coming on. I appreciate the, the time again, especially so early. Normally I'd say have a great rest of your day, but just I think it's best oh, a great day. Oh, thank you very much. I, uh, I, I will. I'm, uh, I've gotten a nice uh, getting up for this interview. Forced me to get up a little earlier than I normally do, so I'll actually have some time to enjoy a cup of coffee and uh, sit and read a book before I start my day, which is a, um, something I always tell myself I'm going to do in the morning, um, but I never actually end up doing. I end up rolling up out of bed right before I need to go and get in my car and go to work. But, uh, but the, today is a little different, so thank you for that. Of course. Uh, I know that it, it's always something where I, I know lots of people like, like to lie in and like stay in like sleeping phrases, but I'd rather. I mean, I don't get up like crazy early, but I get up earlier than most people because I, I'd rather have that time sort of like chilling out, like awake, rather than sort of like being asleep and having to like jump right into something. It is nice to have a bit of sleep time sure, sometimes sure. in the well, morning. Thank you so much for having me. This is a great conversation. Yeah, thank you. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on this episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review the show five stars wherever you're listening. I would really appreciate it. If you want to keep up to date on new episodes, please subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email the show at joetalkscomics.gmail.com. Additionally, if you need any back issues, ratio variants, core variants, or just anything in general cool stuff to do with comics you can check out the website for beaders thingamajiggets the comic book store in fort collins colorado and most of these comics works at and use joe loves comics at checkout to get 15 percent off i don't get any money for that it's just a cool thing for you to use if you want to yeah check out their site and if you see anything that you like you can find the podcast on twitter at joe talks comics and finally, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Joe Loves Comics, where we can continue talking comics. That's all for now, and I hope to see you next time. Bye.